Today's episode is brought to you by the Vegas Bear Guys and Tua T Fitness. Everything sequel contains explicit language. And why the fudge not, you melon farmer? Hello and welcome to the Everything Sequel Podcast. This is a prequel edition. We're finishing up. Today we talk Revenge of the Sith. My name is Michael Schantz of the How Dare You Awards. Joining me, the man with a malicious plot that takes 20 years or so to get through, Tom Stewart of Lonesome Whistle Productions. Say hi, Tom. Not from a Jedi. <laughs> that was the part where even in the preview, you kind of went, ooh, that that looks delicious. Well, I have a lot to say about that scene. Uh, I'll wait till we get there. And, and it's unusually positive for this movie. But um, that line reading deserves special attention because he's not overacting as such, but he's relishing every word. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and it's absolutely. something only only McDermott can do. He, I was just gonna say that <laughs> he he really is the only actor I can think. Of. I think we mentioned this before that he he even gets better the more he hams it up. Well, I, I I've been thinking a lot about this, and obviously in this movie you have two transitions that you've been expect you know that you've been waiting right. for, for that you yeah thirty years. Since 1977. Since 1977, <laughs> and um, with with the Emperor, with the, with the, with Palpatine's transformation into the Emperor, we he the first time we see him, he's a wrinkly space wizard. So mm-hmm. all we want to see is him turn into that wrinkly space wizard. So <laughs> you can go as big as you want because we that's what we that's what we want. Whereas with Vader. Mm-hmm. We actually we <laughs> there's an element of cool and sophistication about Vader that we need right. we need to handle with with kid gloves, and they do but not, with, and they do not. But with the Emperor, <laughs> you you know you you don't need any gloves. Right, gloves off, right. Just yeah. go for it. <laughs> Chew that scenery. Throw it in the Bunsen burner. I mean, Go not nuts. There, <laughs> I guess he, he he couldn't chew the scenery because there was uh, there's nothing physical in the room when he's acting. But... Yeah, no, never. <laughs> he's chewing he's chewing green screen. <laughs> well, well, let me ask you this right off the bat because one of the first things I'm going to say about this movie, listen, we've already ranked. Yeah, this is at the bottom of both of our lists. It is, yeah. And yet, and and the reason it's at the bottom of the list is because it's not a movie. This is a this is basically four scenes. <laughs> that's sure. that's the movie. Four half hour scenes. I, I I I'll go with that, yeah. And the one thing I'll say about it though is that by the time we get to this movie, digitally I think it looks yeah. better than the other two. And it's a curse and a blessing. Yeah, exactly. Because it looks much better, but there's much more of it. Mm-hmm. And they over rely on us watching, uh, us being interested in watching it. Right, because, exactly you know, this right. This is the movie which is 30 minutes worth of spaceships taking off and landing. <laughs> you mentioned and, that, yeah. <laughs> and, and you know, that's that that um, 
that makes sense if you if, because the effects look better than they ever have so you want to showcase them so th those sequences will be will naturally be extended to to show more of what you can do mm -hmm. but it gets It's the same thing tedious. they were doing with Jar Jar Banks. Well, we just had him moving in the background because we wanted to see what we could do yeah. with him. They you were, know? they and were like, yeah, exactly. That's the that, equivalent for this movie. Yeah. It's their emperor's new clothes, right? It's like, yeah, a, you right, know, the, right. it's, it's the thing they think is is reinventing the wheel, and what they don't realize is that 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 it has limited potential in terms of dramatic storytelling. So it's exactly <laughs> like Jar Jar. <laughs> Uh, it's like we can show the ships taking off and landing like we can show it all isn't that great great, great. it's like <laughs> yeah. but we got by without it narratively until this point we were fine we just assumed they got there and assumed <laughs> they left yeah that's funny it is yeah so i think that's a big i think that's a big part of it but there are definitely moments in this film where i think uh they peaked in terms of um digital effects at least in this prequel trilogy i mean the, the, sequ sure. the sequel trilogy i think is a whole nother stage of um it is of course practical yeah. digital fusion and the but, melding of the two well i think they've 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 achieved the vision of what they wanted in phantom menace which was an entirely coherent digital world around the characters and they they more or less get there i think well i guess the world is the important thing they're still not there with with integrating people into that world necessarily, right? Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I agree with you there. But closer. But than it they looks were better than it, it's funny. Yeah. It, it looks better than it ever has, and it actually it looks good enough that it it takes a minute. I think for me, when I'm watching this movie, I'll forget that they're <laughs> they're standing in front of nothing for quite yeah. a while, yeah, and then absolutely. I'll notice it in the background and think to myself, Ah, fuck. Yeah. Well, I guess good for you because it took me a second to realize right. that, but that's what. Yeah. I did realize that. Hmm. But I want to say this too, because I just rewatched this movie for the purposes <laughs> of yeah. us talking we, we've about. We've been it recording today. these episodes for conservatively two years. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this movie is at the bottom of my list. Mm -hmm. I think it has one front action scene, <laughs> action movie. One action movie, it's a by the way. contained action movie that begins this movie. You know what I heard, too? I was listening to the commentary. That first scene, as first conceived, was over an hour long. Was it, and then was, they, was it filmed, or did they get to the point where they filmed that hour, or did they... I think they filmed they a lot filming. of it, and right. they, they just kept saying, we knew we had to pare down, it's pare down, pare 25 down, minutes, down. which is long enough. I had 23, but... Okay. Yes. But I want to say this. I think I think there's something about this movie that makes it easier to go down. It's it's an easier watch to me than the other films. It doesn't it doesn't get it doesn't like rile me up like the other two movies. Oh, this, the, oh no, I t hard disagree. Okay. This movie riles me up more than the other two. All right. Like I said before, I think I think the worst examples of everything in this trilogy are in this film, for me. Interesting. And, I know, think we'll if you pay attention to its glare, if you don't pay attention to its glaring problems, you could just kind of sit back and enjoy it. 
I mean, th- that's I, I I okay. So I hard disagree that the move the movie of the of the movies in the trilogy in the prequel trilogy this rails me the most. Do I will I sit down and watch it and enjoy it as with all these prequel films? Yes. Mm-hmm. And the scenes I rather like the sequences I think are really well done. Yeah. I it 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 simply does not hang together in any way that makes sense to me. And well. But- on that yeah. we agree and i think that's a that's a uh that's a big problem i i guess it's just a conceptual problem behind it like i i understand what lucas is trying to do with the phantom menace whether i agree with it or not mm-hmm. attack of the clones i see a very clear vision of of making a you know a love letter to pulp fiction um and you don't know what he's doing here I've no yeah I feel like I feel like it's like and then there's this one because we've got it we've, we've got an end point we have view. to finish it yeah yeah and we just have to get there in a in as entertaining a way as possible right and it feels like that's all they're thinking about no I agree with you there I don't th- yeah I don't think that can be argued it's not the worst thing in the world but it's it's far right. from the best yeah yeah so. yeah 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 but there's something within it because the effects are much better. Hmm. Of the three, of the three movies, this one, I think they're finally. I think the effects have finally caught up to all of their ideas. Better, yeah, than the other two movies, so they're able to to achieve more. And but stylistically, I think this is the weakest. Yeah, of the three movies. And all the accusations of, of of the other two films, I think, apply more to this one in terms of cartoonishness, busyness of look. Mm-hmm. I think the crimes of... I was going to say, that's far more grievous than... Uh, <laughs> and that's just because every, every example in my head is uh, revolves around General Grievous. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> the first thing I thought of when you said that, <laughs> there's that... You know, you're having this enormous lightsaber battle on a volcano planet, hmm. and then they're on this little spit of metal mm-hmm. on a on a lava river, and then out of nowhere, just a little robot pops yeah. up, looks at them both, and takes off. And I just there's a few moments like <laughs> really this cracks where... me up every time I see it. What possessed you to put that there? Why? Why, because, sir? I ask you, you know, why? I have, a th- I have a theory. I have a theory. Like, sometimes if George Lucas gets too close to regular filmmaking, he feels the <laughs> he, need to throw in he, some kind of... He feels of sick. Yeah, it's like, it's <laughs> yeah. like, um, it's like, it's like, this doesn't feel right. Throw in a CGI bug or a robot or something. Right. <laughs> I have an example of a, of a hard cut that's just like that, where it's kind of the, the dramatic peak of the, of the, um the kind of dramatic peak of the prequel trilogy. Clearly, Lucas is so uncomfortable with it, he has to throw CGI nonsense at the screen for a few minutes. <laughs> All after right. This. Well, then let's get to it. Uh, yeah. Obviously, ladies and gentlemen, we're talking uh, Revenge of the Sith, the 2005 sequel, uh, directed by George Lucas. We've talked already about the movies he has and has not directed. Mm-hmm. And this movie is the high watermark on Rotten Tomatoes, yeah. Tom, which doesn't bode well for the two of us, but 79% on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, this one comes under budget, under the 115 to all the way down to $113 million. 
Opening weekend, 108.3 in the USA, 880.2 million. And uh, in the world, 868.3 million. That's weird, isn't it? Which part? Oh, wait. Did I say 800? 380 million. Oh. I think I said 800. I couldn't read my own writing. To have 880 million in the USA and that 868 world, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> so 360 or 380 in the USA, uh, 868 point three in the world yeah. and I, uh, I, one, I feel like, one yeah. nomination for makeup for makeup okay yeah okay oh well uh, well how there's much one that, moment how much of that makeup of my, is real though i don't know but there's one looks, moment in this we'll, we'll talk phenomenal. about it later but the crispy anakin looks phenomenal mm-hmm. it looks like it i mean when <laughs> I doubt Crispy we're gonna get Anakin. we're gonna get there on this episode. <laughs> we're not gonna get Crispy there on this episode. Um, but I, I always remember thinking that is that's phenomenal body horror. Mm-hmm. I agree. Probably shouldn't be in this movie, but <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it wherever I find it. Yeah, sure. And it's interesting. Like I, I sort of understand why the rating is higher than the other two because this more than either of the other two movies poses itself as a far more serious and worthy movie. Yeah, that's for sure. But you scratch the surface, and this is the silliest movie of the bunch by a mile. <laughs> and that's that's in comparison to you the don't Phantom have to go Menace. too deep to find yeah. that out. Yeah. But you know, Phantom Menace is self consciously marketed as a as a kids movie mm-hmm. as a movie for underage audiences attack of the clones i think is sort of goo is is kind of goofy swashbuckler kind of entertainment this you know poses mixed with as... some you know some genre yeah. choices you know the the romance and the but you know pop boy noir stuff, really like no yeah not to be the kind of kind of movie you shouldn't take too seriously. This movie is trying to get you to take it seriously. Mm-hmm. How it does how it does that with General Grievous in the middle of it is is hard to fathom. Understand. Yeah. <laughs> but it does seem to position itself as uh, it, it like you know it seems like it. This is the 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 Lucas version of Return of the King. He's like you're gonna give me a nomination, right? You're gonna we're going for best oh. picture here. <laughs> Makes me really sad to think he might have thought that was a possibility. I know. <laughs> I don't. I mean, you know, he's he's never going to get recognition from the Academy because uh, because you know he made an he, enemy of them. They've, they've yeah, they've been fighting for yeah, so for so many decades. But it'd be interesting to see how they would treat him as an artist. Were you know were they not uh, at loggerheads? Mm-hmm. I do. I sort of wonder whether they would have, you know, given him a, a few nods here and there, like the kind of like they did with everyone else in his generation, you know, who hadn't won an Oscar yet, like Scorsese, mm-hmm. and you know, and on the acting side, like Pacino, and like, you know, give them their Oscars for their worst movies, <laughs> sort of kind of thing. <laughs> worst movies yet. They're yet. both still going. Strong is not the word, but they're both still going weak. <laughs> well, let's talk scroll. 
Because well, my first note is war exclamation point. We can't even get uh, fucking complete sentences anymore. The I mean the scroll has gone in this the space of this prequel trilogy. It's gone from one extreme to another, from long-winded verbiage about taxation yeah. and trade to one-word exclamations. We have run the gamut of language. <laughs> oh fuck. Yeah, it's it's let's, it's kind of let's really. I, I, I wish a more pulp, like a pulpier movie kind of came after it because Get, I feel right, like I yeah, would be exactly. into it. Yeah. If, you know, I, I, I wish that that was a signpost of what This scroll come. does not match the movie we watch. You're right. I also want to, it's fun. It's, I got to tell you. Okay. So I listened to this movie with the commentary on this one. I thought you meant you just listened to it like without watching anything on screen. <laughs> okay, well, for, no. So here's the funniest part about that. One, the very first words you're going to hear are from George Lucas, who just flat out says, uh, yeah, these movies, they're really more visual than anything else. Um, you know, you can't really get literary with them. The, the words, like, you know, he basically is saying the words don't matter. It's all mm. visuals. Yeah. And then the scroll starts. And I don't remember who the hell was talking, but one of them <laughs> Again, says... Again, that class, classic George Lucas self-contradiction of... Yeah. He's, you know, he's the one who chose to make, make this a verbal, like, on-screen text. Yeah, right. You could have done this as a voiceover if if that's what if 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 you don't want to do literary. But if you, you don't do want to do, do anything literary. literary. Yeah. The best part was uh, this line: "There are heroes on both sides." So before, just yeah, but go okay. Well, be, one tiny thing before that: they're trying oh, okay. to fake, fake you out into believing that Dooku is going to be the villain of this movie. mm Hmm before that because they mention him high up in the in the in high the up scroll. in the scroll yeah yeah so i just want to I, I i i appreciate like we'll talk about my feelings about losing christopher lee so early in the movie but it's it's a genuine fake out that i quite appreciate okay like it, it is it is sort of like it it's set it's established from the very beginning of the movie and is very surprising when it happens whether it was the right choice or not i will probably have a different opinion but <laughs> i i enjoy the fake out of it i don't mind telling you i never it it never came as too much of a surprise to me because you got to have only two so <laughs> gotta kill that guy well yeah but you've got another what hour and 10 minutes before he he sort of signs on to the to, to the role to sith Incorporated. to his villainy yeah, yeah. So it's true. that could have all been good Christopher Lee time. Anyway, you're not wrong. But yes, oh, go but on. There are heroes so on both sides. Continue. There are heroes on both sides. My favorite, one of my favorite things listening to that commentary was, uh, I, I again, I don't remember who it was, but he said, you know, I really had a lot of arguments with George about this line. There are heroes on both sides. Hmm. Uh, why, why would that be in there? Heroes on both sides. So the 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 Palpatine side, he, there are heroes. Is that what you're saying? And and then he said, and George went into a really lengthy explanation about everything until I finally said, okay. But I didn't still. I really didn't understand it. So uh, yeah, it's in there. And that's how it was left. It's in, it's interesting. George because, just kept talking yeah. until I shut up, and then I don't know why it's there. 
I mean, that's that's what he does to his creative collaborators, right? He just yeah. wears them down. But <laughs> so I have I have two contrasting feelings about this line. Mm-hmm. I kind of like it for what it is. I think it's just they're just trying to say this is more complicated than it looks from the outside, right? And sure. you know, Palpatine's in the in charge of both armies, so there's no right. moral superiority here. It just hasn't dated well post the presidency of Donald Trump, where he said he said there are <laughs> there are good people on both sides in reference right. to pro to political protesters and Nazis and Nazis, yeah. <laughs> so that's what I think about now when I see that line, but. In and of itself, I don't. I, I I kind of like the the ambiguity of it. Okay. I think I think I see what he's getting at because, you know, the, there is the the separatists. There's are not necessarily villains. Mm-hmm. They're be you know they're they're being orchestrated by a villain, but you know they have a they have a legitimate point of view. Turns out they're right, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> it was time to get out of the republic before it became an empire. So yeah, they're not. They I think they're wrong. pretty vindicated by the ending of this film. <laughs> so and they mentioned they mentioned the 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 droid leader. Mm-hmm. Do they say Grievous? Do they mention? They do. They say droid yeah. leader General Grievous, and I wrote down like we know him, like we know him. Also. I don't know when they wrote this this girl whether they knew he was going to be a robot or a man at this yeah, point because it's he's very both. ambiguous. Well, I mean, in the making of documentary, and I talked about, I think I talked about this briefly on our ranking episode, that you know they you, they show you the design process of General Grievous and and just how chaotic and random it is as to what design they end up going with. Mm. It feels like a lot of this movie is sort of last minute decision, game day decisions about really important stylistic choices. <laughs> and I think they, they huge. Well, we'll get into it, but I think they hugely missed the mark with General Grievous. And I don't, I don't know at what point Gary Oldman backed out of doing the voice for Grievous, but he mm-hmm. was announced mm-hmm. as to be the voice of General Grievous. And ended up being the sound editor. Filling right. in for him. So I don't know if he backed out because he knew what it was turning into. I, I don't know. It. I, this is the least thought through uh, aspect of this movie. Everything relating to General Grievous, I think. Is but anyway. Consensus? Is, fan, is fan consensus that he's garbage? Or I thought fans like General Grievous. There's not enough hatred of General Grievous out there for my liking. Okay, fine. But I don't think he's generally. I think I think it's split. I think I think it's a it's a hung jury. Okay. But I don't understand why anyone was think he was the biggest sort of visual atrocity to ever stumble around the screen. Anyway, <laughs> we're still talking. We're, we're not. We're, that anyway. That was a tangent because at this point he's just being mentioned. We haven't seen him in action. True. Let's wait. This is the first time that. I read one of these opening crawls and thought, how much does the person writing the scroll, in universe, the person writing these scrolls, know about what's going on? Because it's written as if even the person writing these scrolls doesn't know Palpatine. Doesn't is the big know. Ex- yeah. 
<laughs> doesn't know exactly what's been happening. Like, I always assumed that this was like, this was an omniscient narrator who could see everything. <laughs> but reading this scroll, I'm like, this guy doesn't know what's really going on. <laughs> That's fantastic. This is a lot of, like, naive journalism. You know, it's like like someone who did an interview with Bill Cosby back in the day, and now they're reading it back, going, "God, I should have oh, seen. Fuck. It. I should have seen. Boy, did it. I really. I, yeah, thing, I, I really missed the mark. <laughs> that thing where he talked about drugging women, I really should. That have thing seen where it. he said Spanish Fly is great. You seen that documentary too? As a Larry, yeah. <laughs> I was gonna say Larry King didn't pick up on it, but I'm sure there's a few, you know, genocide level atrocities that Larry King hasn't picked up on over the years. Oh, for fuck's sake! If you ever get a chance to see his interview with Jerry Seinfeld, post uh, Seinfeld going off the air, mm. <laughs> asking him about the so Larry King asking him about the circumstances of how Seinfeld went off the air. And he was, he was like, like uh, it's like, so so did they cancel you? Or it was like, no, <laughs> it was the biggest show on television where we decided to let. Like, like, <laughs> so why don't you know anything about the person you're interviewing? <laughs> I just go in blind. Yeah. Oh, he always, I, the people who say that are just hilarious, I think. It's sort of like. So great. What? Not doing your job? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like to fly by the seat of my pants. Uh, it's like Jiminy Glick logic, anyway. These are my two children, Matthew and Modine. <laughs> Four children, Matthew, Matthew, Morgan, Mason, and Modine. <laughs> All right, back on track, please. Back on track. <laughs> Do you have anything um, more to say about this scroll before we move on? Well, only the, it kind of, the last paragraph is basically the same as in Phantom Menace. Because mm. it's two Jedi Knights on a... Yeah, right. On a well, not quite a dip. I guess is it a dip? This is not, not a, a diplomatic, diplomatic mission. mission, but they're they're going to rescue. Yeah. So I thought that was interesting because it's sort of looping back to the beginning of Phantom Menace. Mm-hmm. At the same time that we're kind of looping back to Return of the Jedi in the bigger scheme of the of the series. Mm-hmm. Because we're going to start with a fight. Well, we get the traditional pan. Well, it's, it's like you pan said, down. it's either, either going to be a pan down or a pan up, and mm-hmm. it's a pan down. But we're immediately blinded by light, mm-hmm. <laughs> which I thought was an interesting stylistic choice. <laughs> blinded. <laughs> it was like you do know that it's dark in movie theaters, right? <laughs> and <laughs> and we're on top of a spaceship rather than so the and there's and yeah. we always said there's got to be some kind of an inversion of of the openings of the original trilogy and here it's that we're on top of a spaceship rather than underneath the hull of it right and i wonder whether they were waiting for the effects to be good enough to do this for it to look credible but i i, I don't know or whether they mm. were just like what can we do now we've kind of yeah we've taken the shot from every possible angle <laughs> right and we want to start with you know heart pumping action so two two flyers are gonna be yeah uh cruising past camera lens i love but i gotta tell you me too there and there's yeah there's a second transition too there's i i have that note about the drum beats the ships pass through and then they there's this moment where the camera Mm -hmm. almost looks like it's attached itself to those two ships to start following them Mm -hmm. And that transition's really cool looking. Yeah. Now, I think they get a little too cute with, like, oh. uh, you know, tr- trying to do a Martin Scorsese <laughs> Goodfellas <laughs> walk through the restaurant w- in 
with uh, it, comparatively with two ships cruising past other one ships. One goes one way, one door goes the other. <laughs> goes the other. Uh, you know, so once we do some flips and some twirls, then they're going to mm-hmm. go, uh, you know, down below that ship, and you see that there's a huge war, hmm. and then we're we we get really really cutesy with it in a way where uh, yeah. I think. You should have cut your losses. You you had me, and now yeah. you've lost me. Yeah, all you really need is is are those those couple of, of transitions. I love that it starts in media res that we're like it, again like the original Star Wars. We're we're kind of we were in the, the we're in the weeds of the battle, mm-hmm. and then everything you were saying about it trying to you know this experience experiential aesthetic, the camera being positioned um, as one of the ships in flight. Right. Um, I think is is a really innovative way to do the dogfight in a way we've not seen it filmed before right. yeah, in, in yeah. this series. We didn't see, you know, we didn't see the Death Star run from this angle. So, and then it does it, it does something again uh, that I think harkens back to Hitchcock and Psycho, and he does this a couple of times in the movie. We kind of we go from the master shot and we draw into the individual. Yeah. And that, you know, up to that point, I think this movie's kind of firing on all cylinders. I, I agree. Admittedly, we're about a minute into the movie. but if We haven't been here but long. But as you said, it gets very cute very quickly, and it's just... Well, by the time we get to... Uh, I forget what the names are. What are the names of the little bots that crawl over right. a ship? Vulture droids, I think. Vulture droids. Half ashamed to know that, but... By, by the time we get to vulture droids, <laughs> yeah, you know the the narrative of what's happening is happening for so long that these very fast ships would have been past yeah. all the other ships. They'd be on the other side of the fucking planet, but they're just flying in a straight line forever. Yeah, while they can you know get cutesy and uh, it just kind of it wears on me. It, it wet yeah. It's, it's I what wears on me is how busy it's how busy and kinetic it stays mm-hmm. after those after that really nice transition from the op- from the opening shot it kind of stays busy and and with a busy and kinetic for the next 10 minutes yeah like rel- relentlessly so relentlessly and and yeah. yet it still it feels long it still feels long it feels like the, the scene's going on far too long it does. So it's the That's worst the of both. It's the worst right. of both worlds. Like it's going too fast and too slow simultaneously. And can I ask you something else since we're yeah. here? Because there's, there are moments where Obi Wan and Anakin mm. are going to radio to, uh, the clones. Yes. And you see the clones in their ships, mm-hmm. and they don't even have real helmets on, Tom. There's so many like so many well, of those characters. Otherwise, they... Tamara Morrison's face wouldn't be in the movie. Yeah, but can't you get him a real helmet? Why does it have to be a CGI helmet? Oh, I see what you mean. Okay. Well, yeah, that's okay. Yeah, that's a wrong choice once again. Every time they and they do it a lot in this movie. Yeah. When, when Obi Wan goes to the rock planet, and whenever you see his face, he is wearing a CGI suit. Hmm. I don't know. It drives me crazy. It's kind of it, it, this picking up at this point is kind of interesting, and I guess you know Dave Filoni's been working back from this point over mm-hmm. the past however many years. So, so we so he can. We can you want to know the funniest it. part about this? Like how? So it's another commentary moment. Those guys 
that w- had been working on this for mm. like six months to a year, they said, George came in and just changed his mind. He just wanted to start over and do something else. And so all that work was thrown out the door and they just had to start over. Wow. No, I, that doesn't surprise me at all. It's crazy. And, you know, our only kind of continuity here is Anakin and Obi-Wan. They've got new haircuts. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of new droids, like the Vulture droids. Um, right. We, we we now see the clones. We've got face. a bigger beard for Obi-Wan. Right. I will talk about that choice to make him look exactly like Alec Guinness at the beginning of Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Uh, they clearly didn't anticipate there being an interim TV show. <laughs> and then, you know, we see the clones' faces as well, which is sort of is interesting. Mm-hmm. And to me... It dramatically, I understand the point they're making, and they're like, "Well, how are we going to use Tamara Morrison now if he's, uh, you know, we chopped his head off in the last movie?" But dramatically, it doesn't make sense because if you could, if you look at, if that means that Obi Wan is kind of looking into the eyes of Jango Fett at all times, always, yeah, and he's still not suspicious about how these clones originated, <laughs> right. After years of this, of working with these clones and seeing mm-hmm. their faces every day, he'd just be like, we really should look into how these, these clones were originally made. That because bad guy the that face, Mace They have the face that... of the villain from the last yeah. movie. <laughs> the bad guy that was working with Count Dooku that Mace Windu had to lightsaber his head off. Yeah. He's the person I'm seeing everywhere and I'm not suspicious at all. I wonder whether there's a there's a parallel to Return of the Jedi here because, well, they feel very similar in in the sense that, that begins, it's a self-contained yeah kind of mini movie yeah kind of self-contained TV episode length sequence right. to start the movie and I guess the the big similarity between the two is that they don't cut away to anything else so it's like a yeah it's a right. self-standing sequence in the film we're not we're not cutting away to any other to a parallel storyline so it, i don't know i I'd like for some reason i follow the logic of how, why they did i mean I, I think we complained about why is this is why does the jabba jabba's palace sequence have to be like 25 minutes long really mm-hmm. in narrative terms but i think they get away with it there and then they don't necessarily hear well i mean directly speaking to what we had already said though it already feels like it's dragging it's going yeah. on for too long and is it is it me who thinks that the that like the droids are getting more killable and more comedic in tone? No, you're right. But again, the, like this the, is supposed the red to be a serious R2-D2. movie. Like in Phantom they, Menace, the... you go, "Well, it's goofy," but the whole th- movie is goofy. Here, I'm going, mm-hmm. "Why do we have the goofiest version of these droids now in this <laughs> supposedly serious movie?" I got something else I got to tell you. Because oh, no. I, I told you that you had convinced me about R2-D2 being in this, this prequel trilogy. Mm-hmm. And I kind of backed off both times any reservations yeah. I had about that. But now I want to reintroduce my Venom <laughs> yes. because, because pairing R2-D2 with Darth Vader, I don't like that. <laughs> yeah. Well, it doesn't I don't make like sense that one on bit. any level, does it? No. It's not a good pairing, and it makes no narrative sense. Yeah, it's gross. Timeline. Yeah. <laughs> and 
everything they do with R2 in this opening sequence I think is a is a kind of mistake really. Mhm. It they they're sort of try they're trying to again it's the sort of double down of we got to see him fly again because Lucas is not going to admit that just because you didn't like it that it it, mm-hmm. it's, it still happened. He's going to remind you of that. Yeah. You're right. It, he doesn't he doesn't belong as Anakin's um sidekick partner yeah it just it's it retrospectively grains against everything i like about star wars i just don't it's a it's 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 a terrible partnership and it's they're really clunky how they try to i think i think they're trying to make it better that lb1 doesn't recognize r2 or says he i mean he's a big you know he's just Mm -hmm. galaxy's biggest liar but um he says he doesn't recognize (laughs) r2d2 or says you know i I don't seem to remember right droid exactly he he, you know he says hello my little friend but there's no sense at that point that he's supposed to recognize him and i think they think it's making it better by obi-wan keeping his distance from r2 Mm -hmm. but that, that that I think that, that R2 would stand out more it, in Obi-Wan's memory because he oh there was that little fucking droid as well that was that always hanging fucker. around and he's going and that's you isn't it like yeah. I think but I think that what they're writing it in to go like oh well Obi-Wan never really interacted with the droids and you know he has more droid racism in these scenes as well which is which yeah but is... he does interact with R2 in this opening scene but he's sort of skeptical of him and that's what I think. I think they wrote that in so mm. that it's more convincing that he forgot about R2-D2's uh, existence. But I think, conversely, it would stand out more in his memory <laughs> because yeah. he because he, he doesn't like R2 and that's why he would remember him. But anyway, it's a weird... Yeah, there's right. a lot of weird choices in these, these uh, in this, I would say, opening scene, opening movie. Well, I don't know what you call it. Episode, <laughs> yeah. Episode uh, three, three point one. I don't know what you want, what you want to call it. <laughs> and it's just a greatest hits parade of all the battle droids we've seen. Yeah, for sure. With a couple of new droids thrown in, which is what you do with greatest hits albums, isn't it? You have all the known songs, and there's a couple Pepper of a little shitty, something in there, shitty yeah. new tracks there <laughs> at the beginning of each side of the album. The ones you skip. Yeah. Absolutely, and it's it's sort of you like again. Obi Wan is still twenty years away from the character that we find in the opening of Star Wars. George Lucas doesn't want to do any more Star Wars. So he wants to bring that character right up with with what we see in OG Star Wars. So again, he's too early for Obi Wan to be acting like an old man. No, yeah, for sure. But that's the that's the whole shtick of this scene is that he's you know he's out of breath and he's behind the eight ball, and mm-hmm. he's losing his faculties. But he's like still supposed to be, like no, he's play, yeah. he, he's like, still looks like a very young man. Mm-hmm. They've just given him the haircut and beard of an old man. <laughs> he's still a very and he even now <laughs> you know even now he looks, yeah right he looks like he looks like he's decades away. He about, looks. Before, he looks Guinness. right now like he did in this movie. Yeah, absolutely. Basically, doesn't you look know? like any time has um, passed. Yeah, and this is—it's kind of interesting because the elevator scene in Clones gets all the heat for the, you know, interminable exchanges between Anakin and Obi Wan about their past adventures, 
I think mm-hmm. it's in this scene that they're forcing the chemistry way too hard. Yeah. Like, they're trying to turn them into, like, a buddy cop like Like Riggs and Murtaugh. Yeah. And I think that that's, that's the... That's the worst crime is that they they try and try and force it too hard, and it would just have been dramatically better to just assume that they've got a rapport at this point and not continually you know, comment on the rapport that they have and why they have it. Yeah, you want to know as as I agree with you, and as bad as as the forced rapport is in the elevator, it could have been worse because I saw an extra scene mm. where they. Cut, they cut up all the battle droids, uh-huh. and then each of them successively say Roger, so that together they say Roger, Roger. Oh, I believe it. <laughs> I believe it. Also, again, I've never seen anything that looked so forced. And I, I think, I think this whole this this part of of this part of this scene slash movie slash episode mm-hmm. is calling back to the beginning of the phantom menace it's like anakin's taken the obi-wan role and now obi-wan is recognizably the qui-gon in the relationship Mm -hmm. they have them like once again lights lightsabers through metal surfaces and jedi jumping yeah it's pretty much the same scenario right (laughs) as well as like they enter into at the beginning of phantom menace yeah and it's also a trap actually once again it's a trap (laughs) yeah and they know it so well that they're they're just you know he flat out says let's spring the trap yes let's get into some trouble mm-hmm. yeah, yeah this it's like I, I I don't know if they're thinking of this but it's the like from from Russia with love both the novel and the film that mm-hmm. Bond knowingly walks into a trap just to see what the what, like what's behind the trap who's running the <laughs> so I wonder if they're thinking about that there's also a weird thing in this scene and then later on in the movie. I never can tell what the fuck is in a Jedi's mind as as to uh, how many, say, foe or robots are too many. Because hmm. they'll willingly give themselves up at times and other times they just say, <laughs> well, really fuck it, point. let's get, let's, yeah. you know what I mean? Let's, let's start that's, some shit. That's the problem with them being so killable and, you know, like slicing through them with butter. Like, yeah. Why couldn't they do that with a thousand droids? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love the reveal. One of the, one of my favorite moments of the film is the reveal of Palpatine in the chair. <laughs> you like that? It's such a camp moment, and uh, I I mean, obviously, the allusion to is to you know Return of the Jedi, mm-hmm. and how you know how that the same kind of the came out of chair, and it's just it's it's like a it's sort of a, like a camp moment that for once is sort of playing on the idea that we all know. <laughs> that he's the emperor, but no one's saying it, and just making that as absurd as possible. It's like he's supposed to be a prisoner in this chair, and he's clearly the one running the show. Like we made it so right. obvious, it's absurd and funny, and I re- I just love it, <laughs> and I love his little kind of uh, his uh, nonverbal punctuations to the fight. Yeah, me too. As well, yeah, I like he it. Does. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if it's the best decision for to begin with a rematch from the end of the last film, especially when you're watching these movies back to back where I have. It's been a few years mm-hmm. off screen and I guess on screen as well. But in terms of us as viewers, if you're watching these back to back, it's been a few minutes. Yeah. Since right. this, this, this sort of like there's a real sense of, oh, this is the rematch. It's like 
you know, Rocky Two doesn't begin with a the rematch between <laughs> Apollo Creed <laughs> and Rocky, right? Let's just get that nasty business of the fight out of the way so we can get to the rest of our movie. Rocky doesn't say that. I mean, unless you're Sylvester Stallone re-editing your own films. That's the only way that happens. Yeah. So, yeah, it's... I mean, it's... And then Obi-Wan has a ridiculous line, which is, Sith Lords are our speciality. Which is a weird thing I to say of, when you have a... I, kind you of, have a I fi- love how he delivers it, though. Oh, it's so fucking... He's, it's so ridiculous, but... Yeah. He is and not to mention patently untrue because he they got they got a fifty percent success rate. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which retrospectively turns out to be zero success rate. <laughs> they don't know it at this point, but there's a Darth yeah. Maul with spider legs knocking about somewhere. <laughs> right. <laughs> so yeah, that, but I mean, I think like that's again they're trying to trying to give the idea that Obi Wan has become overconfident. I guess, but there, I think it's one of the problems for the movie, too, and it's it's this moment, and then there's also moments between Anakin and Padme where so much has happened between the characters off-screen yeah. that the audience is left behind, and that's not a great thing. True. It doesn't, you know, that's hard. It, I don't know, it just doesn't seem to, you know, it doesn't jive with what's going on in your, your canon head. It's too early from for, from the last yeah. movie you've seen. Yeah, it's too early. It's it, you know, it it causes all kinds of problems. It does. I mean, they just again, again, it's narrative convenience, isn't it? Because he has to be he has to be unconscious when Anakin mm-hmm. tips over into the dark side again. To the dark side, right? Having, <laughs> I like it when it happens incrementally. Mm-hmm. But from this point onwards they just go back and forth between between him being a hero and a villain and it, it's like they should have this right. should have been really their launch pad into Vader and there's a lot of back and forth in between that doesn't really make sense on a psychological Well I think you level. mentioned the the hero part of it in one of our last episodes right like they they set him up to be the hero yeah. in this moment and that you know the the counterbalance is off compared to where he was, you know, murdering with the women and the, the children in our the women last and film. The children. Yes, exactly. <laughs> let, let, let's not, let us never forget the women and the children. <laughs> and, you know, I was thinking about this the other day, you know, there's, there's a way to do it where he, he, you know, he comes back from the Clone Wars as the hero, but mm-hmm. that experience has turned him into a villain because that's what Macbeth is essentially. Hmm. Right, that's the starting point. Yeah. He comes back from the war, and you know he's just he he's bl- I think it's said various times he's bloody minded, bloodthirsty. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's like a springboard. And it, I I I would I think they could have done it that he's just like so. Let's kind of continue this this warlike approach to politics, and uh, I'll go out and kill and get these, her done. Kill these people. You know, <laughs> yeah. it's like it shouldn't have been. There shouldn't have been any conflict about him killing the Trade Federation you know, uh, bored the way he does. You know, it should have just been like, right, this is yeah. how you do politics, right? Based on everything yeah. he said in the press film about, you know, how the, fascism these... is the way to do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but there's too much, but there's, there's, there's too much back and forth and, the, and, and the movie wants him to stay a hero for too long. For too long. 
for it yeah. to to make sense. Well, this is. I mean, you know, we have a we have a you know a a replay of Dooku versus Anakin, which is also because the Empress, because Palpatine's there watching from his from the same chair. It's also mm-hmm. Vader and Luke in Jedi. Sure, it's the same. It's the same setup, right? That's what was, as far as we can tell, that was Palpatine's plan. He wanted, he wanted Luke to kill Vader, and then Luke would become his right. apprentice. And then Vader wanted Luke to kill the Emperor, and and they could rule together. Would, I don't, <laughs> I don't know where Dooku fits into this because he's a ninety-year-old apprentice. So it's really funny. <laughs> I saw a clip the other day with Christopher Lee talking about filming his fight scenes in Attack of the Clones, and you know, he was mm-hmm. just like. He was just like, I can move my arms uh, very fast, but uh, the knees are not what they were. And I just sort of think, why is this guy being cast as anyone's apprentice? <laughs> but here's the thing. <laughs> the, the, what's so funny is he looks so fucking elegant. Oh, it's... Well, as like yeah. a 90-year-old man twirling around with swords. I mean... Even the digital version of him is semi-elegant. Yeah. It's kind of funny given what they did with Peter Cushing. You mean his front flip? When he does his jump down and it's an entirely digital yeah. Dooku. Yeah. But it's like, well, Peter Cushing would be entirely digitalized a few years later. <laughs> later on in this character. movie, he's going to be fully digitalized. Isn't that just makeup? Anyway, we'll get there. We're we're a good maybe couple of I don't know. We're a good couple of episodes away from that. Yeah. So obviously, I have mixed feelings about losing Christopher Lee at this point. I like the fake out element. It just kind of came as a, I remember it coming as a genuine surprise to me, and also mm. within the narrative logic of the movie, I like that they send him off with a Wicker Man reference with the cross <laughs> lightsabers, right? The heading, which I think is is a, a lovely touch. Um, but you know, it's a waste. You've got him. Well, yeah, you're certainly you're getting not replacing of... him with anything of the same no, standard. Yeah. So it's a problem. I also, I also love the look on his face when the emperor orders Anakin to kill him. Oh, I do like that. Yeah. Some I do good, too. some good screen. Act. I mean, <laughs> it's not, it's not breaking news. Is it Christopher what Lee I, is a good what screen I always... actor, but. Right. This is a man who knows his craft well enough to 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 do a kind of reaction shot like that. What I like about it is is I love that he makes it so good, but the character should not be surprised at all. <laughs> yeah, but and then that goes back to what I was saying in the last film. Like I don't know what Dooku knows and doesn't know. That's true. And I yeah. and this this complicates it further. I like the moment. It's more dramatic this way. Yeah, but yeah. if anything, it makes it more unwieldy in terms of the plot that he wouldn't. The look see on this his coming. face, though, me, me, <laughs> but I'm your loyal servant, right? And then we're, you know, and then we're into the third act of this mini movie yeah. <laughs> at this point, and it's all about Grievous from this point on. We get to the Grievous of yeah. it all, yeah. Who's you know our new our, it's the gauntlet has been handed. He's going to be. Villain. The surrogate baddie, right. Mm. That, but he's also kind of... Pro- like, he has his own kind of... So there's some kind of Jedi-like droid with the one that has the staff. We saw them in the Clone Wars as well. Yeah, right. It's a right. droid we haven't seen before. And it's especially confusing because without without knowing for sure, I suspect this was once the, the kind of design prototype of Grievous. 
And they mm-hmm. were like, no, we've changed to change what Grievous <laughs> is, but we can keep these as his guards or something. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of, conf- yeah, I don't know. I think it's like a runway to Grievous, these droids, but it, it, because uh, they have Jedi skills like he does, which, you know, I means guess, means you can't yeah, slice but... through them quite as quickly. And then, you know, we're into the sort of crash landing, which it dramatically is the crux of the the set piece. Although you could lose everything after Dooku dies and nothing would change in the story either. No. So really all this crash landing is sort of an artificial No, artificial it feels stakes. like the it feels like the end of I don't know. Uh, an emergency fifty-one episode, or you know, <laughs> airport, or something. One of those. It's movies, so you know? funny. It's so funny you say that because one of the things I noticed, which seems to me ridiculous for such an expensive movie, we keep going mm-hmm. back to the same cutaway of R two D two and the Emperor. Right. Yeah. Stood in the cockpit. It's like yeah. you're repeating shots in Revenge of the Sith. <laughs> this is what you do when you know you you got to make a movie seventy five minutes long so you can release it. <laughs> it's just crazy to me that there would that kind of oversight. Yeah, it's nuts. Yeah, but it all you know, I mean, I guess we forgot to mention that th- in the middle of all of this, Grievous is uh, escaped. Of course. Again, like I've said, I, I don't know how many times I've said this, but they should have flipped it. Should have had mm-hmm. Grievous be, even though he's just been introduced to him, Grievous should have been the one to die. To Kill Grievous, keep Dooku. Keep Dooku. But then there's no point in, in introducing uh, Grievous at that point. But yeah. I'm still in denial at this point, narratively, that he is going to play a. He is going to be our villain for the rest of the movie. Because I take one really? look at him and I go, how, how could this. How could we have ended up with this? It seems like something's gone wrong. It's a, uh, some sort of ro- some sort of android robot with human <laughs> organs. There was an emphysema. administrative accident that somehow General Grievous is the villain yeah. for the movie. Which, you know, from everything that collectively we've observed about behind the scenes at Lucasfilm for this film, is entirely <laughs> possible. <laughs> totally possible, absolutely. And that so after so they they crash land successfully. That, yeah, that and that that ends the yeah. front portion, the the mini movie of the movie. And we begin the non-battle part of the movie. Right. <laughs> so I I either think they were going for. Jabba the uh, Jabba's palace, type sequence. That's how it feels narratively. It feels yeah. as though well, they're I guess the... trying to match. Also, Lucasfilm is... The style um, of that movie. Lucasfilm Not is style, Indiana Jones, you know I mean. so it, it could have been going for like a Indiana Jones-style title se- uh, pre-title sequence. Maybe. But it takes a big chunk off the movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then we're straight into the spaceships taking off and landing. On Plenty Carson. of that. Plenty of that. We gotta, we, we, but we also we, get some of we've that. We've gone from one kind that. of space filler to another. Right, we're, right after we crash land, we get a little more of that history between yeah. Anakin and Obi Wan about this is, this is... how many times he's saved his life and what counts and doesn't count. I always think I'd like to see that movie. Yeah, and it's it's terrible dialogue, and again, the worst in the in the prequel trilogy, despite mm-hmm. you know what people have said about the dialogue in the other movies. This is far worse for me. 
So it really helps that Hugh McGregor is at his most comfortable. He's really grown into yeah. the part. Totally. And it's evident from these opening scenes, which would have been interminable otherwise. If he, if he was in any, if he was, if he was Obi Wan from Phantom Menace, my God, can you imagine how, how, yeah. how hard it would have been to get through these scenes? How difficult. Yeah. And uh, our well, old, go, go on. I was gonna say, uh, you know, we've 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 gotten through the first battle. Maybe we should just take a break. All right, sounds good. All right, that's half the battle. Then we'll do. Then that's what we'll do. Many things are <laughs> half the battle. Many things are half the battle. I'm concerned about what's all the battle. There you go. A little bit of. Let's take the fight to them. Yeah, a little bit of good movie, right? Good movie dialogue there for <laughs> antidote to what we're talking about. <laughs> all right, everybody. We'll be back. We won't be talking about the Untouchables. Mm, not initially, I'm sure. We'll need we'll need another similar distraction at some point. It might come up. <laughs> we'll be right back. I like to think I know something about beer, but nowadays even I get overwhelmed when confronted by the exhaustive selection of craft beers they have at bars, breweries, and even grocery stores. Back in the day you had one, maybe two craft beers to choose from, and if you were confused, you ordered a Guinness. But in beer stations like San Diego, the craft beer options lately are in double, sometimes even triple, digits. So what's a beer drinker to do? You need what I need, the Vegas Beer Guys. Your beer of choice should be a perfect blend of malt and hops. And so a live show about beer needs that same balance. And the Vegas Beer Guys matches beer expert Dan Aker with self-proclaimed beer novice Stephen J. Weiss. The results are eminently drinkable. They're on Facebook. They're on Instagram. They'll try new beers. They'll tell you about beers. Think of them as your beer sherpas guiding you up a foamy-headed mountain to reach the peak of your pint. God, I need a beer. And we're back, ladies and gentlemen. Tom and I are here discussing the first part or first half of Revenge of the Sith, hmm. the 2005 sequel. The first quarter of the first half. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and we just got done with the major set piece. The centerpiece of the movie is over yeah. 25 minutes in. <laughs> and then from here on, we just have to know about how these two are going to become who they're going to become and... How many mm-hmm. windows Padme can look out? <laughs> it's true. And uh, this is where we realize that it's the nail in the coffin for Jar Jar Binks, really. This scene yeah. where they arrive back. And he's now just a background character. He's not going to say, shoot. <laughs> um, he's got one one line. Um He's not even doesn't get a close up seen from behind. Right. He's like that out of focus actor in Deconstructing Harry that Robin <laughs> Williams plays. 
But, you know, like in Phantom Menace, he was the focal point and one of the major speaking parts. So. Mm-hmm. And there's a kind of moment where you sort of see the droids overtake Jar Jar as the, as the sidekicks. Yeah, right. So maybe Lucas is sort of like ushering out one kind of sidekick and ushering in another. A new one. <laughs> yeah. And we're back to the pure melodrama that we saw in parts of the last movie. With We'll see it right away. Merit. The secret marriage and, yeah. the pre- and the pregnancy. Although it's all again, it's romance novella stuff. You and know? but not much of a secret either. I mean, she's just right behind one of those pillars. Yeah, they really wrote themselves into a corner here. Narratively, it it never comes up. No, the fact that's that right. these two are secretly it's married. Like sh- it it's d- like that shape shifting alien. Yeah. in the beginning of Attack of the Clones, it's like it makes no difference. <laughs> to Does not make a lick of difference. Then we cut away to Grievous arriving slowly on the planet mm-hmm. <laughs> with a lengthy landing sequence, um, and a lengthy, and now a lengthy, Emperor... a lengthy robotic walkout oh, of his ship. And we we see we see a palpit the the Emperor Hol or the Darth Sidious I guess at this point mm-hmm. hologram. It's like the worst kept secret in the trilogy because you can see his full face <laughs> underneath that hood. Now. Yeah. So the movie's kind of toying with us in that respect. It's sort of like, are there any of you who haven't figured it out yet? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then we do another opening of Psycho Zoom from the streets of Coruscant to the bedroom of, I guess, Padme. I, I guess Anakin doesn't live there. Where did Jedis live? I don't know. Do they live in the temple? It's never stated. It isn't, is it? Do you have to bunk with... But like, he's staying weird? overnights. They've got a... Sure, yeah, because he wakes up from a nightmare. Yeah. yeah, you're right. But he doesn't live there. I don't know. Because he can't, because then they'd know that they were married. But I remember thinking when he's having his nightmare, I think I remember thinking, not a lot of care taken to keep this secret. I guess the only time we've seen... No, I, I, a couple of times. Well, three. So <laughs> We've seen, like, Jedi hermits and their homes. Sure. But we've never, like, seen, you know, I don't know if there's, like, a Jedi, like, a military base, kind of, like, a series of <laughs> high-rise apartments that the Jedis are in. Jedi condos. Just making ravioli. <laughs> why? I don't know why that image came to your mind, but it's the perfect image. It's like Jack Lemon in the apartment. You yeah, know, exactly. Serving spaghetti right. with a tennis racket. <laughs> Light lightsabering, like the toast, the like bread and shit. <laughs> like, you know, like those those people who are so cool they could like make tortillas on the on the grill. Yeah, and uh, not on the grill on like the the hot pl- like hot plates. They can just do it freestyle, like loose. <laughs> There's all these Jedi's who are like putting tortillas on the lightsaber yeah. and then quickly flipping them over. I can slice it and toast it all at the same time. There's a Disney Plus show for you right there. Mm-hmm. You could even combine it with the new Frasier reboot. <laughs> it's like Frasier's roommate instead of Nicholas Lindhurst from Only Fools and Horses is uh, is a Jedi. <laughs> a Jedi in training. Oh, fuck. Now, the Love is Blind dialogue, easily the worst in this trilogy. Which oh, is I have it down a, here. <laughs> a trilogy notable for bad dialogue, much worse than anything in Attack mm-hmm. of the Clones. They also have things like, because I'm in love. No, because I'm so in love with you. Yeah. And these poor actors, because 
it's horrible. Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's just no bigger hill to climb. But I also feel like both Natalie Portman and uh, Hayden Christensen have, like, they've gotten to a place where they could be asked to do more. They seem much more natural in this movie, but they're not given anything to do together. Mm. You know, poor right. Natalie yeah. Portman is well, just... She's given nothing to do, yeah. Nothing to do, and... She went from an action heroine to, uh, you know, a house pregnant housewife. Right. And in the last movie, you, you know, you spoke at length about... Well, we both have about the murdering of the women and the children, and what a turn <laughs> towards Darth Vader that Never is. Never forget. Never forget. And then, they, and then they kind of back it up by continually trying to make him the hero again in this movie... But there's a turn that doesn't happen till you know, in the last part of this movie where she's finally realizes what he has become and turns away from him. But what if that's the catalyst? What if that's introduced way sooner? What if she's the one that says, mm-hmm. these ideas that you have are the wrong ideas and I'm taking our child and I'm going. And yeah. that anger is what transforms him that you know she would she would solve a lot of timeline problems as well oh man i you know it seems like such an obvious answer i i lament it whenever i watch this movie the children would remember their mother and then that whole scene in jedi would would make sense leia's memories of her mother would would make uh would make more sense well also if she didn't die well that's really all she has to do in the movies get pregnant and die right give birth and die you know so um, but Leia says she died when I was very young. And mm-hmm. This is this is really young. Yeah, <laughs> so young, <laughs> minutes old. Just a glint in Anakin's red eye. Mm-hmm. And I've got more to say about how they could have handled that, but I'll I'll save it till yeah, the next episode. For sure, yeah. Well, but the seeds of it are here. There's that we talked about this before. The remnants of an Othello-like love triangle. Yeah. With Obi Wan. And I think they clearly could have played left that over up from more. an earlier draft. Yeah. Because the, there's like a power struggle between the three of them mm-hmm. that doesn't make any sense unless, and you know, unless Obi Wan is romantically interested in Padme or vice versa. Right. And they've also, I think, you know, having establish the fact that he gets these nightmares in the last movie mm-hmm. it's kind of and i feel like this is what you're speaking to it's written as if his trauma went away and then came back mm-hmm. yeah right instead of like a so slow steady climb of his fear mm-hmm. about loss and death which is psychologically plausible given the life he's had sure and having come back from war, what happened to his mother? But they don't track any of that. Again, it no. just feels like, I'm back home. I guess the nightmares have started again. Now, let me ask you this. What do you think of us seeing the nightmares for the first time? It, it darkens the movie significantly. It's it's mm-hmm. a, it's a what I call a Temple of Doom move. <laughs> it's like when you do... It, this is a little bit like Crispy Anakin. It's like once you do this, you or, or the Jedi Temple sl- children slaughter. Mm-hmm. It's like you can't really come back from this. You can't go back, in a, right. In a family-friendly movie. I, I think it's a it's a bold, certainly a bold choice. Right. And stylistically, too, we don't have any precedent. Well, I was, I was even just thinking in juxtaposition to everything that's ever happened in any Star Wars movie previous. 
Luke's on Dagobah, and he just says Han, Leia. Hmm. And then Yoda tells him he's been seeing the future. This is the first time. Well, the K. This is the first time that Lucas is. That's different, though. I think. That's well, not. But but if you're looking for precedent, that's as close as you're gonna get. Mm-hmm. But then, then the sequels will have all kinds of, kind of fantasy sequences. Yeah. Anyway, I just say it's, hopefully it's a. The of, hopefully, the whole of Rise of Skywalker was a was a dream, but <laughs> I'm still waiting for that confirmation. Yeah, we don't know. We don't know. But anyway, I was just curious. Soul Claude's dream. Because because. Uh, I kind of like the, I you know I don't mind that it's hard to see, the future. Yeah, I, I th- always in motion it is. <laughs> yeah, uh, and I I kind of like the, I wish just wish they did more with it because, once you yeah. see her right. and he thinks oh I'm in danger or she's rather she's in danger and then in the next time he actually sees Obi Wan there, that's alarming wish- for him. So I wish that played more yeah. into the triangle that you're talking about, and it just doesn't, you know. Well, or establish that that that's a <laughs> so that's a topic of jealousy in their right. lives, and also some confirmation that this is is this a like a kind of self fulfilling prophecy, and that everything he does in order to prevent this makes this happen, mm-hmm. or is it literally just Palpatine sending like beaming? Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah scary visions into his mind because the only conversation that they've had in this movie he's we know he knows about his nightmares yeah because he's because you know they they well um, through through bad and he's told he's told him about the slaughtering of the women and children through bad dialogue we're gonna get like yeah remember you told me about the women and the children. That's just great. As it, <laughs> and it doesn't make any sense because as if that would make you feel better about having just murdered someone. It's right. Like, no, yeah. it's fine. It's just like when you murdered those women and children. Oops. <laughs> Did I say that out loud? <laughs> For some reason, that was supposed to make you feel better. <laughs> At least this is a man this time. Yeah. <laughs> so then we go. then we go into... As a, a scene with Yoda, scene between Anakin and Yoda, which is really the only scene that they're together alone in, yeah. in the whole trilogy. And I think this is sort of like, this is sort of riffing off the scene, sim, the scene in Empire Strikes Back between Luke and Yoda, where mm. you know he's saying a lot of the same things, like, "This is a turning point for you. Right. It can go one way or it can go another." So. You get a sense of the road less traveled for Luke in this. Yeah, you have that, but you also, like, the dickish Jedis are back. Oh, my God, yes. (laughs) I mean, Yoda's advice is written. Rid yourself of everything you've ever fucking cared about. (laughs) Like, Yoda's advice is kind of on the page. looks like sage wisdom. Yeah. But when you break it down, it's just like, it's just just abuse. (laughs) It's cult rhetoric. Yeah. This is what Jim Jones said to his followers, mm-hmm. right? And then he he uh, he goes off to talk to the um, emperor again. Well, we yeah, so silhouettes. We get the. I think I feel like there's a silhouette in every. There's like a silhouette in every movie. I might be wrong about this, but mm. this in the last movie it was. We definitely had Padme and Anakin in the last last one. I know there's that poster. I don't know if there's an actual silhouette right, in the movie. Right. But this one is Vader and the Emperor, so it's like yeah. a, it's like sort of saying that 
I don't know, like, they're the new power couple? Yeah. <laughs> I haven't thought this through, clearly. <laughs> They're the new um. Brangelina. <laughs> and then we, we go into a uh, a Zoom meeting for Jedis. Yeah. <laughs> to, uh, it's just, well, this is the I part. Mean, it, this it, is the this part. Is, this, is also, this is something that converse to, you know, converse to um, the heroes on both sides line. Mm-hmm. This is something that's actually kind of over since since the covid zoom explosion yeah. it's actually the scene kind of makes more sense than it did yeah. when it was released because it's like they have they're sitting in seats in as holograms but before that when he does meet with the with palpatine or whoever i i so i i never know what to call him anymore he is technically palpatine Chief. still i guess just good old but Chief. that's the part where he tells him that he's going to insist that he be his representative on the council. Hmm. I don't think this movie draws a clear enough line for the character of Anakin. Mm-hmm. You know, there's not enough for his ambition. Like, like you can see that it's there. I agree. But it just should. It, it could have been so much more deliberate. And obviously, you know what's really dis- what's really disappointing is that. His turn to the dark side is entirely external to him, mm-hmm. because everybody is a dick to him from all sides. Yeah. So, so from his point of view, a hard place. <laughs> yeah, it's just like it's like you know who do is sort of like who's gonna get me out of this jam? Mm-hmm. Because and it's a shame it comes down to that because both both sides are. Um, there are villains on both sides. <laughs> there's sort of like it's not ne- never it's never a clear choice. Mm-hmm. And you know, well, obviously, in in several hours, we'll get to the we'll get to what Mace Windu does. But he says some things that would alarm anyone. Yeah, right. About what's going to happen after this? Mm-hmm. You know, and and it's a sh- I think it's kind of a shame that. That it's all external to to Anakin and his psychological development. Yeah, he's just a kind of pawn, really, in the middle of all this. I guess I lament it because with just you know, I I said this in the ranking episode with a few tweaks, with a few choices, choosing to do just a few things in all of these movies would kind of awaken the movies from their slumber and really make them take off in a way that would be so force awakened. Yeah, captivating. Also, are you clear about what Anakin's secret mission is? Just on a writing level? A level of comprehension? I'm not clear who ordered the mission. I don't know why the people who are comfortable with him going the mission would be, and why the people who are uncomfortable with it wouldn't be. What I think is weird is that we, we were just in the temple, mm-hmm. and they don't have this conversation with him. It's just Obi-Wan having this conversation with him. He says, be wary of the Emperor. By the way, we want. But he said he begins the conversation with that by saying, "Right, this is off the, you know." And later on, you know, we're going to realize that everything that happens in the Jedi Temple is, is recorded. recorded for posterity, like like uh, the the Nixon White House. Yeah, right. So 
this is the... <laughs> I don't know. I think Obi-Wan's onto something here. It's sort of like, well, we don't want that's this... That's true. We don't want a hologram to be made of this, so that's, so that's why, why I'm, I'm telling you now. privately out here. All right, I'll buy that. <laughs> like uh, Donald Sutherland in JFK. But it just, you know? it feels as though... I mean, I never had this conscious thought, but I could see how somebody would say, well, what the fuck's Obi-Wan up to? Maybe he's not even, maybe he doesn't have permission from the council. Maybe, you know. Again, I think Lucas, when he writes, he loses a sense of every, the character's points of view. Mm -hmm. They get switched around. Yeah, right. He forgets who thought what, when. And I think this is a prime example of that. This doesn't seem like Obi-Wan... I think he accidentally wrote this as an Obi-Wan scene. <laughs> I think it would make way more sense as a Mace Windu yes, scene. Right, exactly. If it was Mace Windu giving, knowing what he's going to eventually do in this And movie, it would even, it would hook. While Obi-Wan is off riding lizards. Yeah, yeah, shit right. About this, he just. <laughs> and it's, it's funny, shit? too, because if it was Mace Windu, that would be something different than we've seen before. And we know that Mace Windu has been you know, a little dubious about Anakin himself. He doesn't necessarily right. trust him. And then that would make the scene more interesting. It's like, is he, is he, is this a, is yeah. this a test? I'm almost positive this was originally a waste Mace Windu scene. A waste? Change for some unknown reason. <laughs> I think you almost said because Waste Mindu. Waste Mindu. <laughs> <laughs> That's the Mad Magazine. But it would really hook into that later scene when he tells him that's what I was to just stay say, here. Yeah. And that's why it, I think. Yeah, was, if what you turn, if was, what you've was, said turns out to be true, I know. You know, yeah, it would be, it would really, you know, put piece everything then, together you know, much better. He's already, you know, Obi Wan's already on his side, right? Right. He's already defending him to the council. But if he wins over Mace Windu, then his path as a Jedi would be much clearer right. because he'd be part of the hierarchy and Palpatine can promise him to, that he'd be part of his political hierarchy. So it's more of a, mm-hmm. again, more of a choice, yeah. more of a clear right. choice for Anakin. <laughs> Do I go with the good and evil version of essentially the same thing? Mm-hmm. But they, in that scene, they're also, it's, you know, I, I already mentioned it, but they're trying to set up, they're trying to deepen the relationship between Anakin and, Obi-Wan to set up the end of the film because he's calling him, mm. you know, he's saying goodbye, my old friend, and maybe may the force be with you, master. And, and it's like they're yeah. trying to to bring them together. But all of that is based on shit that happened off screen that we didn't see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we don't know why yeah. they're so close. It's only tangentially that we know that. Well, I don't think... I, I I think I think it just the context clues is fine for that. Okay. I think the worst part of it is when they start talking. You know that they, like, they start talking about it. That's what I'm talking dialogue. about. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think that's the yes. I think that part of it is, is overdone. Okay. Plus, and again, you know, you can say this about so many things, but the Obi Wan Kenobi show you know, has extended the finite number of meetings that these two yeah. characters have had. Right. So when you see this, he's like, he's like he's going to see him again <laughs> yeah. when he kills him. And then he's going to see him again <laughs> 10 years later. Yeah. And then he's going to see him on the Death Star. <laughs> and probably, according to Deborah Chow, he's going to meet him about five more times between <laughs> those two meetings. So 
that'll be the whole of Obi-Wan Kenobi. The show, yeah, I mean. Yeah. 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 Oh, well, she's doing more, so I assume... I assume it's going to be him and Vader meeting again. All right. I don't know. You know how I feel about that. Missed opportunity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, in the Zoom meeting, <laughs> you're told that the Wookiees are going to be play a part. Right. Or are playing a part in this war. So they talk about a Wookiee escort. <laughs> yeah. Um, which I think is, a, you know, just like pops up on a hotel TV screen when you when you check in. I can't decide if Wookiee Escort is a good band name or a good album title. Yeah. But Yoda mentions so, that he's got he's had good relationship with the Wookiees. Good good relations with the Wookiees I have, yeah. yeah. So more here the here the two unknown connections between legacy series characters. Right. I guess sort of Lucas trying to bring the original trilogy into touch with with this mm-hmm. one. Through the idea of, of Wookiees. If, if it had been left... And well, we'll get there. But if it had been left at that, it would have been fine. But <laughs> if it had been uh, Wookiees other than Chewbacca. I agree. That's Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I think it all that would have made total sense. Just don't have Chewbacca there. In You're, you're in a war-type situation. Who are you going to want as your allies? A, a planet full of... <laughs> a pallet light full of bears who tear people's arms off. It's like, yeah, yeah uh, I'm uh, pretty good. Pretty good, good company. Um, I would say, <laughs> I would say, there's your, there's your front line. But anyway, we don't need to, we don't need to get too bleak because the best dramatic scene in the prequel trilogy is about to happen. Where are we? We're at the bubble opera. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. I admit I don't need to see any more transparent bubbles. I was I was very worried you were gonna say uh, "hold me like you did on Naboo." Let's gonna get the fuck out of no. here, Tom. What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> so we get we get the sort of post Fifth Element bubble opera. Oh, I always thought of um, it as like uh, the Star Wars version of Cirque du Soleil. Yes, that too. Yeah. <laughs> You're not wrong. But you know what's interesting about that? I, they talk about that, that this this whole thing was just going to take place in his office again. And they were like, oh, we're mm. fucking always in that office. Let's go somewhere else. And they come up with this. Good for them. It's fucking great. Good for them. Yeah. That's uh, it's cold writing, mm-hmm. isn't it? It's like even they even they were fatigued with scenes taking place yeah. in offices at this point. <laughs> Do you think George was like, hey, let's just have it in the Jedi Temple, you know, with those... No, George! George no, we want a on. change of scenery! <laughs> it's just... It's it's so strange. In this, so, in this movie that's not really working... Yeah. In a trilogy that has not lived up to expectations <laughs> for most people, suddenly everything comes together in one scene. It's really good. And it does everything that you hope a scene from a prequel movie would do which it bring it's like there's an interplay of both trilogies which is what they've been going for the whole time and mm-hmm. you know really failing to do it feels like the trilogies are united right. and when we talk about the sequel trilogies that it speak this scene even speaks to those that's right. how good it is it's really good acting really good writing like godfather levels of atmosphere mm-hmm. it's like a real movie yeah but suddenly we're in like a we're in like a seventies movie in the middle of all this. <laughs> I know. Well, it helps and that you have Ian Lucas, McDermott there to 
to act his fucking the lights out, you know? Well, even Lucas understands the need to minimize everything around this scene. Yeah. We bring down the lighting, the background, the extras, the music, and the sound, which, you know, his instinct is to amplify all of that. Right, right. And yet, he even he recognizes that this scene isn't going to work unless it's like a blank canvas around these two characters. Mm-hmm. And he resists that low-hanging fruit for, throughout. Good for him. And I, Yeah, I think... And it, it's... So it is, it's just two people talking. Right. You know? It's you like, don't get nearly enough of that. Not to this not I mean, I guess you level. do in this particular film. You get plenty of him talking with Padme. You get him talking with Yoda, but nothing, nothing... This is real writing. Yeah, exactly. You know? It feels like yeah. a scene from a real movie. I love that he does like a, a, a sort of Drax from Moonraker style <laughs> ladies levers <laughs> at the beginning. <laughs> Because he dismisses his guests and yeah. and he's so two faced about it as well. He starts out saying, "Anakin, sit down, leave us." Mm-hmm. It's sort of like he's like he's literally, you know, like uh, schizophrenic. Like mm-hmm. half of him is the he's like that Lego head in the Lego movie that turns around the good cop bad cop, yeah. played by Liam Neeson. It's like that, but with um, with Palpatine. <laughs> and this was J.J. Abrams' favorite prequel scene. I remember him saying. Oh, okay. So, he's right. I, I suspect gonna, he only chose that. I was going to say, what do you get, think about it, that? <laughs> I, he's right. I suspect he only said it because it gets him out of a lot of storytelling trouble. <laughs> he quoted. He quotes a line from this in Rise of Skywalker yeah. instead of doing backstory. <laughs> <laughs> it's certainly Ian McDermott's best scene in... Any of I think movies. in any of the movies, yeah, totally. Yeah, and all like it's it's interesting that you know everything is a little bit more sophisticated than it is the rest of the movie. Even all that stuff we've been saying about the Jedi that you don't get the sense that the screenplay or or has clued like, into totally recognize right. it. But in this scene, it's there. We have a commentary on that yeah. because he says, you know, uh, they talk about Anakin talks about his about the Sith and their extremism and you know he, he describes them <laughs> he says and the Jedi don't mm-hmm. and it's just like you know air horn time <laughs> you know it's, 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 <laughs> there's no comeback from that is there yeah I mean and not just that but I like that he says you know he's 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 so clued in to where they are right now I love okay. that he says if they're if they're not gonna if they haven't already asked you to plot against me, they will soon. Mm. That's great. Well, this is very, a very, like, if you told me this scene was guest directed by Francis Ford Coppola, I, I would believe you. Right. Because that's a very, that, and, you know, Lucas worked on The Godfather as well mm-hmm. um, as an editor. So it's it's a very Godfather-like line. Yeah. It's almost a direct quote from Michael Corleone, I think, or, you know, the way that um, that kind of... It, it just in a fantasy context, right? Because his foresight comes sure. from the dark side of the force, not his experience of being a crime lord. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess maybe huh, both. Maybe little both. From column A, little from <laughs> column B. And th- but this is, like, I, I I love this scene, but I wish there was a there was a not in this scene. I wouldn't change anything about this scene, except maybe the mention of midichlorians. But. <laughs> <laughs> It's my one note, George. Yeah. <laughs> but I wish there was another scene where it was sort of pinned down how much of this is 
how <laughs> I guess I guess every, everything to do with Darth Sidious is the same. Like, how much is he in control of the of the play, of the con? Yeah, that's you know. Because is he projecting these images into the mind and then verbally reinforcing them? Yeah, or exactly. Or is he going, oh, look, this guy's in a sad way. Let me exploit Let me exploit that it. to get right. him to where I need to be. But we have no, we end the movie not knowing which way it went. And it's such a simple fix too, because if you go, if you go the, you know, if Anakin is confessing things to him, yeah, you know, he talks about visions with Yoda. Mm-hmm. Why not talk about them with Palpatine? The only other thing that doesn't really jive too well is that, you know, say in this scene, Palpatine has this story about what's the other Darth's name that he talks about? Darth Plagueis the Plagueis. Wise. Have you ever heard the story of Darth Plagueis the Wise? <laughs> I'm about to. <laughs> when he brings up the Darth Plagueis, it's not until later in the movie where, where he says, you have to learn about the dark side of the Force. And he, he finally says, what the fuck do you know about the dark side of the Force? What's going on here? You know, I... I, I yeah. There's, that's the I only know, yeah. thing where Anakin's not cluing, <laughs> cluing in yet that this guy seems to have a lot of information about Jedi and know the ways of the Jedi without being a Jedi. You know, he's not cluing in yet. And that's the other inadvertent problem of a scene this good in a movie this bad. Yeah, right. Is that... It's working on a level of subtext and yeah, right. ambiguity. That... Which we've been waiting two and a half movies for. <laughs> right. Because, you know, it, 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 nothing is directly stated, mm-hmm. but you assume that he's the apprentice who killed his master. Right. Although I think J.J. Abrams thinks that he was actually Darth Plagueis. But anyway, <laughs> he took the opposite meaning from it. Yeah. But I understand because... It's nothing is directly stated. It's all it's all implied, and people have really sort of teased out the possible meanings of this scene, going back to you know Anakin's virgin birth and how Palpatine might have been created him from you know using the Force, and actually his his father and that kind of stuff. Uh-huh. Oh, okay, and I think. That is because this scene is so rich. Uh-huh. I mean, Star Wars fans can construct fan theories out of anything. Sure. <laughs> in this case, they're right to because it does have that depth, but only here. Mm-hmm. And it's not backed up anywhere else. No. And so everything else kind of... <laughs> everything else looks weaker in, in comparison. No, yeah. But I love the fact that he still throws in midichlorians when he doesn't need to. Just to double down on something that is like one of the least liked mythology additions. He just can't let go. He refuses. Yeah. And this is the bit where they, like, after the scene ends, they hard cut, well, they, it's, I'm sure it's a wipe of some kind. Hard wipe to, um, to CGI bugs. Yeah. There you go. On Kashyyyk. And it's just like, yeah, this is movie's too normal for me. Let's cut to the CGI bugs. <laughs> and it's not, you know, it's nice to, for me at least, again, I had this the same note about the the Jedi at the end of um, Attack of the Clones. It's nice to see so many Wookiees. Mm-hmm. And Wookiees in battle, which for all the talk of, <laughs> of what Chewbacca is capable of, we never really see in the movies until Solo. Mm-hmm. And I just wish it was Chewbacca free and that the Wookiees played some bigger role in the story. That's the thing about this battle on the Wookiee planet 
it just uh, it feels cursory. Yeah, you know, almost tacked on. It's right. it's performing no function narratively, really. Mm, yeah, no, no. It it really could be again. It could be a, they could be anywhere, right? It yeah. Could be any any Star Wars legacy alien that Yoda is happens to be on the same planet of. Um, and that's really the only reason to have it at all, right? Yo- to put Yoda there. Yeah, to see him on the back of a. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's worse reasons to do something in a movie than <laughs> than to put Yoda on on Chewbacca's Chewbacca's back. back. I mean, <laughs> yeah, as they say, if I if if I had those resources at my disposal, I'd do much much worse things for that. Mm-hmm. There's much more selfish things than that. So I like seeing it, but yeah, it doesn't. It's kind of caught in between not needing it at all and wanting much more out of it. Mm-hmm. And that's where we're kind of um, left wanting, I think. Mm-hmm. So Obi Wan heads off to whatever that planet's uh, called. Yeah, that rock, um, Edipal or something like that. Sure. Okay. <laughs> I like I like the look of that planet. I like that kind of subterranean in yeah. the rocks. And you know, I, I like I think... the look. I think the best example of practical creature design is in this scene, and it's such an incidental character. It's the guy who greets Obi-Wan when he gets off his So this ship. is what I was going to say. It's like a breath of fresh air when that creature arrives. Yeah. By the way, that is Bruce Spence, the gyro captain from uh, Mad Max 2. Oh, okay. The Road Warrior. Yeah, great, because this is all being produced in And it's in, in Australia. Australia. But to see like a lot li- to see a live actor giving so much life to an alien character, I I, it's like Doug Jones level. Oh man, it's oxygen work, just it? straight into the lungs, and I keep thinking, why don't you like this? How is this not great well, for you, well, George? You know, because oh, I see. Yeah, yeah, it is very incidental though. That the character goes nowhere. Yeah, I mean that's the only time yeah, just. Literally, yeah. that character's just going to tell Obi-Wan that Grievous is on the 10th floor or the 9th floor. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> it's a great line, though. As he say, thousands of the battle droids, thousands yeah. of them. It's a good line. It is. And in movies with not a lot of great lines. <laughs> yeah, I know. It really stands out. It stands out. out. <laughs> the, also, the, the music gets very Planet of the Apes when uh, Obi-Wan starts riding a lizard. Oh, boy. That lizard. So... The last, I did, yeah, the last movie was, like, monster movies, like fantasy. This is more sort of science fiction, mm-hmm. kind of uh, 60s science fiction. <laughs> the Trade Federation are back. Yep. But they're not allowed to speak. We know why. This is, again, well, we, <laughs> I know, but the the movie knows why now. Like, the movie's sort of, like, yeah. conscious of of that. Even though you know, to the to this day, George Lucas will deny any racist intent to <laughs> these or Jar, these characters or Jar Jar or Watto. Like I wrote in space. How can it be racist? <laughs> They're from space. I wrote down that it was you know going back to that previous character. It was so great to see a real actor. Then we see Obi Wan riding a lizard. Mm-hmm. It's not even a good digital. No monster 
Like we also, said, with, you know, in, in Attack of the Clones, they get those monsters get all the heat, but they're they're more part. Of, they're more a convincing part of what's going of on the in world sense. that we're yeah. in. And I also think it's a conspicuous animal to be on when you want to stealthily <laughs> ride. Yeah, it's a very loud. It's animal. It's a loud too. animal. <laughs> Imagine riding into town with that when yeah. you're trying to keep a low profile. <laughs> shut up, shut up. Would you shut your fucking pie? I'm trying to keep please? a low profile here. <laughs> <laughs> he can't he can't Obi-Wan can't win with the, with his with the animals his transport animals. No, never. Cuz he's either got it coming out of the front end with this or <laughs> out the back end from his opies. Yeah. But it's also, you know, it's funny because it's one of those, you know, he sees Grievous and it's <laughs> it kind of harkens back to what I was saying earlier. You see him on the top beam looking down, like hmm. looking at at everybody that's down there. And he kind of has, you know, he's actually showing thinking. He's stroking yeah. his beard. He's like, I don't know. It's a lot of fucking people. And then he just jumps. <laughs> yeah. And it's like they just want to get to the joke. Hello there. You know, yeah, it's and that's some, all. It, it's and, all they want. Yeah. But narratively, uh, you know, he's he is outmanned right there. He's it's, so it's, lucky that Grievous yeah. said, "Hey, nobody shoot him. He's mine." He's so lucky that General Grievous is the worst foe we've ever seen. Exactly. In, in a Star Wars movie. <laughs> yeah, because he he Jedi jumps and then he quotes the original trilogy. And when I'm watching this, I I. <laughs> Why don't I mind this? It feels like I should mind this. But that's the thing. And again, I think it's the, it's the it's the charisma of 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 Ewan McGregor. He's right. clearly enjoying himself so much. It's hard not to get swept along with that. Yeah. Even though what he's doing is the kind of like pointless fan service that I usually hate in right. franchise movies. <laughs> I don't begrudge him this for some reason. And I, so, that, and I guess I was, it, it kind of like never occurred. Like, I don't know. This can go both ways, but most the the opposite of this is uh, Michael Keaton as Batman in the Flash. But it's like I never thought of "Hello there" as his catchphrase. Right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I guess that makes it better in one sense. It's sort of like, oh, he's just saying "Hello there" again. Uh huh. But, you know, the other side of that is you want to get nuts, let's get nuts. He said that once in a very different context. Right. I got a lot of notes here about how uh, Grievous's multi-lightsaber arms are all the bad qualities of the prequels boiled down into one. <laughs> well, what I to think is to... funny is that so four lightsabers against one on the surface seems like an unfair battle and Obi-Wan Kenobi is fucked. But in truth, despite the fact that Grievous has been taught Jedi ways, he's not a Jedi. So he's no. actually pretty easy to dismantle. <laughs> Therefore, he, he's a, not a like good a villain. <laughs> he's a robot camel, right? He's yeah. like, he's in design. It's sort of like, it's like they use the outline of Jar Jar to mm -hmm. come up with the, with the robot body. Right. And it's just, you know, and of course, he's within minutes. He's spouting spider legs because nothing in this trilogy can can ever rest before <laughs> okay. spider legs are added. We gotta get to the next spider legs. 
And, you know, if you think about this again, why is The Phantom Menace a better movie than this? Because The Phantom Menace started with Jedi slashing through droids, and then the, the denouement of the movie is all human or humanoid combat. Mm-hmm. So, again, this movie is sort of... This is supposed to be our big action set piece, or one of our big action set pieces. <laughs> and it's just... It's just it's sillier than anything in the previous two movies. When he's in his gun wheel... Right. I mean, he's like a living demonstration of a toy line, isn't it? He mm-hmm. just gets into his accessories in turn. <laughs> I, I, I just... I really dislike these sequences. Well, and they they and it's it... unintentionally comic as well when he's twi- twi- when he's twirling the lightsabers and they're scratching. That's the meant floor. to be menacing. I know. Yeah, but it's but it's unintentionally comic, right? Because the old, like you say, or like it should be, it should be threatening, but the sheer act of him having it, it looks like he's not able to control any of these lightsabers because he's a robot camel with spider legs. Right. What I like the most about it is when one of his arms gets chopped off and the lightsaber falls away, they always do this sort of shot of, huh? He's so surprised. One thing about my villains is I like them to be coughing and spluttering a lot. (laughs) That's my favorite. It gives them that extra level of menace. Yeah. And it's this well, I mean, thematic, thematically, and this becomes clearer later, I suppose, or clearer in retrospect. Thematically, I understand Grievous because he's a foreshadow of what Anakin will become. Mm-hmm. You know, a, a, a kind of cyborg. Yeah. But he's more, he's more, he's, <laughs> he's more machine than man. Yeah, right. <laughs> Thematically, I, I get it, but we just waste so much time on him. Mm-hmm. And it's so clear that he's going to, you know, he's going to explode in a matter, matter of minutes. He's going to, that, that shriveled fucking heart and set of lungs or whatever yeah. else is underneath there. It doesn't, it looks, it doesn't look good. Give him five minutes. Yeah. He'll probably die on his own. And that, and again, they have to sort of like work back from that because it's only because his armor is torn open a little bit yeah. that Obi Wan can kill him with the blaster. And it's like, well, he still seems awfully easy to kill. <laughs> if that's his, you know, if that's his vulnerability, well, you the, one blast to get rid of the armor, to another get rid blast of all of it, heart, yeah, done right. so. <laughs> and and I guess the it's funny to me because in the moment it seems like it's the you know that's the last thing that happens so it's the climactic part of this huge battle between these two hmm. and it goes for a while I mean it's probably altogether it more than ten minutes right oh yeah yeah at the very I think, least eight I think to we, ten we minutes cut aw- and we cut away in the middle of it to to some other action do we I think we go back to this the senate or padme or something padme Don't we get and... some space jimmy smiths in the middle of this as well we might yeah yeah that doesn't speak well of it yeah if you can leave your action scene to go to go to some senate business right oh, but no, you know still, with the with the Anakin, he's got his Anakin lightning and stick Anakin and he's getting you know kicked and thrown around and then he's almost off the edge and grab the gun and laser blast and it's you know i think it's built to be the end of jaws oh wow smile you son of a 
and you kind of breathe a sigh of relief. And it never reaches that level. No. I mean, it's just so far well, from he's it. Not a th- he's, not a th- he's not a threat. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, obviously he's a foreshadow of Anakin. I guess he's a take on the, the stereotype of the... This is, again, not something you want to bring back. The, the disabled villain, right? Because mm-hmm. he's... You know, he's full of ailments. Right. Not, you know, he's already just a heart and a pair of eyes in a robot body. <laughs> but they also have to make him, like, consumptive. Yeah, exactly. So, why they ever thought that this would be... Like, even with, like... Even if Gary Oldman did do the voice, he would still have a... He would still have quite a hill to climb. Could you imagine Gary Oldman? So, he's he's a robot, but he's got tuberculosis? What's going on? <laughs> He's just maybe it was written that way because it's like you know we've got to give we've got to, he's one of those actors he needs a, needs business he needs a little bit of business on mm-hmm. the plate right you know like Pacino in Godfather Part Three how he's you know they made him a diabetic just so he could <laughs> have props to play with because <laughs> see him struggling for candy bars and things like oh, that oh that's good yeah um garbage <laughs> it really is it really is terrible it it just sort of feels. And again, like, this is the second scene in the movie. This is the second this scene. This is the, the second movie. real scene, you know. It's also the again, so at the end of the first scene, the during the first scene, not the the end, it's true. Somewhere in the middle of the first scene, <laughs> uh our the last movie's villain died. We've had a new villain, now he's died in the second scene. Yeah. So, I guess we need a I guess we need another villain, which is where Vader comes from. Right. Well, I, I, Vader and, and the Emperor, because we they both yet to f- transform into that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in the middle of this, it's not. In the, the, we are back on Coruscant, but it's Anakin and Palpatine again. Because he's contains. Te- the, hmm. Well, go ahead. I, I was just going to say that he he tells the Chancellor that they do want him. Yeah. To spy on him. And is this where he's and, like? By the way, if you know anything, if. if if you know anything about saving someone from death, I'll. Is it, is it exactly? Yeah. Throws it in. It's like, and I love the idea of like Palpatine getting his rocks off when he feels like a Jedi wants to kill him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Because not only is that a very, like a funny, entertaining idea, but um, also the same thing in Return of the Jedi. Yeah. Right. When he's like, he clearly, the way, <laughs> what. Luke's desire to kill him is doing to him goes beyond, you know, a normal person's reaction, and it's it's it becomes very sexual very quickly. And the same, and there's a consistency. There's a there's a sort of sexual through line in him getting his rocks off at the thought, which I really like. I love the fact that Luke that Ian McDermott remembered that he did that in the other movies. <laughs> is able to bring it back. I wouldn't have remembered something like that. This is the one where, in this moment, Anakin pulls his lightsaber on him. Oh, are we there already? Or are we not? Yeah, no, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, we're getting it. We, we, yeah, it all it all sort of happens. At, well, you know, out of once we've at once we've seen spaceships taking off and landing, and, taking off and landing, and now, <laughs> and now all the plot is happening in the space of about five minutes. Mm-hmm. Also, uh, a clothing note, Anakin's dressed just like Luke in Return of the Jedi. So, 
Yeah. I don't know. I, I feel well, like, I feel like retrospectively just like him, that but... makes it seem like, you know, that theory that Luke is heading for the dark side in Jedi. Mm-hmm. I think that's reaffirmed by, by you know, again that they diverge. This is the point at which Anakin and Luke diverge in their lives. They take mm. different roads. Right. Again, a, 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 back to that point about. Anakin's turn to Vader seems far more circumstantial and coincidental than it should. So, yeah, you right. Know, <laughs> if, if if Windu made a different call in that moment, I guess it makes it more tragic in a way. But it just reminds me of how arbitrary it is that if if Mace, so he tells Windu, he's like, "Hey, this guy's a Sith Lord," and when Mace Windu sort of says, "No, you stay here," if he'd have said, "Come with right. me." Be my, you know, be my backup. Probably be my backup, right? The dark side. <laughs> Maybe not. And I don't exactly. think that should be the difference between being Darth Vader and being Jedi Knight Anakin Skywalker. Well, but I wanna, I wanna back up a little bit okay. too. You know, obviously the the Cirque du Soleil scene is the best scene probably in all of you know. Yeah. In in, in these Definitely. three movies. But atmospherically, there was something going on when, so he comes back, he, you know, he, he confronts Palpatine. Palpatine basically says, hey, I got a lot to teach you. Let's talk, let's talk dark side. (laughs) And so he realizes who he is. He's like, motherfucker. He pulls out his lightsaber. And like you said, he kind of gets his rocks off. He's very excited. And... Anakin just kind of puts his sword away and says, I'm telling the Jedi, I'm, I'm, I'm coming mm-hmm. to get you. And we have that scene between him and Mace Windu, and he says, sit still. But then he goes back to, I guess, his own mm-hmm. place. Yeah, yeah. He goes back to his own place while Padme <laughs> wait, wait, wait. is who goes, out who, looking out, out windows. Anakin goes back to the place to, to where he's sleeping over at his wife's house. So is that it? Because they're know. separated, though. They're separated, but they keep toggling yeah. back and forth between them as they're pensively, I, you know. I think, yeah. You get what he's doing, but but all I wanted to say was I'm really drawn into this movie at this point. Even though, it's mm-hmm. ha- you know, there's there's nothing happening narratively like there is in the Cirque du Soleil scene. <laughs> they're not talking with each other. They're separate. <laughs> but there's something about mood that really sets off well- as he's thinking, like, he's making a... You could see Hayden Christian actually making a choice because he's been told to stay, stay, yeah. you know, sit still, and he's going to make the choice to go. I don't know what the fuck Padme's thinking, but at least she's she's doing some good acting, whatever <laughs> yeah, she is yeah. thinking. But the sound is muted. There's this, like, low, ominous, really cool music playing all over mm. it. And... I love that kind of toggling back and forth. It, it's so atmospheric that it reminds me of the Cirque du Soleil yeah. scene, just without anything important <laughs> happening narratively. Oh, but I still really like it. I think like you're it. right, and I think I think there's there's the, the visual side of that is is we've got more of a brown and black color palette in this film, which gives it a kind of autumnal yeah. feeling, mm-hmm. um, which I think reads through a lot of the the scenes here in Coruscant. Always seems to be sunset. Wherever they like, wherever right. they are. So I think that de- I think you're right. I think there is there's 
a lot of uh, color and shadow, the ability to do that with a digital landscape has clearly improved. Right. It feels like they're yeah. refining the look of a digital movie finally at the end of this trilogy. Mm hmm. Well, we're about at the two hour mark. Yeah. Uh, maybe should, not in the movie. I guess we should save. Yeah, right. <laughs> Not even we close save to two our, hours we should, the movie. I think that's a perfect we're basically place to right stop. At, yeah, let's end on a on a positive yeah, note. We'll come back to the lightning accident. Yes. <laughs> yes, we'll talk about how uncomfortable Ian McDermott was with doing a sword fight. Much to the much to the amusement of Sam Jackson. Yeah, but he uh he gives all props to he said, obviously, I couldn't do as much. Uh, so I had a wonderful stunt double, I, and thank God for that. I have Christopher Lee's knees. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I think this is the perfect perfect place to spot. I'm about halfway through my notes as well. Uh, again, it's difficult right. to tell if we're halfway through the movie. It feels like the movie's nearly over, and yet nothing has really Don't happened. Know. Yeah, exactly. I, the movie should be ha almost yeah. over, but it's yeah, not. It really isn't. <laughs> We've dispensed with both we of the movies. We have so much more to go. The <laughs> war is basically won. Yeah, it's over. And that's the other thing. It's like, does something disingenuous. Like, not only is the, have we gone from, you know, is it like feast, feast of famine when it comes to mm -hmm. language? The emperor. But also, it's oh, kind okay. of, no, yeah, like, war, <laughs> like beginning war. It's also kind of mm -hmm. like it should more accurately should be. War's nearly done. <laughs> because we begin, like, the movie... War is almost yeah, over. The, the less successful um, John Lennon Christmas record. Merry there Christmas, war's almost over. Although, that would be more... <laughs> it would be more realistic. Sorry, I, I said John Lennon, of course, it's the Yoko Ono. Uh, it's Yoko Ono um, oh, yeah. band featuring John Lennon. Um, okay, fine. If you I, I don't so. want anyone thinking I'm on the wrong side of that debate. <laughs> <laughs> love, love Yoko Ono, love her art, love her music, um, and Peter Jackson's Get Back will prove that she was not, uh, she was not to blame. She was not. Yeah, she was. It's all George fault. Harrison's fault, apparently. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's the crazy part of this. It's like, wow, George Harrison's the only one who actually said out loud. Let's break up. Fuck this. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I can't remember. I can't remember what I was saying. Yeah, war, war's almost over. So it's just a feeling of having wait, waited again since '77 for the Clone Wars. We don't get to see any mm -hmm. of it, except the nope. the, the sort of last uh, the the table <laughs> scraps of the war yeah, right. <laughs> one just the wookie a crash portion. landing and then the, the death of a robot camel you know yeah you get to see one non-important wookie battle and that's it yeah oh well what can i say anything left for you uh no no i any... say i was just just thinking i was like yeah we end on a positive note and then i then i uh inject <laughs> quite a lot of negativity <laughs> But you know, we talked about the ah, best. You're fine. The best, uh, best scene in the trilogy is in this movie. Agreed. Some good shit. All right, ladies and gentlemen, you're gonna have to tell us what you think. Uh, talk to us. 
Revenge of the Sith. I'm getting a lot of How do you uh, feel? feedback. It's been good. I I have read that uh, some emails, yeah. and I am I'm, we'll talk about it. I'm sure in our yeah. Uh, Pitch a sequel segment, right. but <laughs> man, what's some great? Because it's the only gra- space we, we just, have. We had some, yeah. <laughs> it's the only space that won't be very long. No, yeah. Um, so yeah, we, but, you'll, you'll hear some listeners' comments. I'm sure it'll be regular episode long, right? As opposed to shorter, yeah. I love how but, I love uh, how like you began this episode by saying, "Can you believe that this sequence was originally an hour long?" It's like, I know we're not, we're not great timekeepers ourselves. I don't think we have the right to. Yeah, we should shut the we fuck should, up. We should. Yeah, <laughs> I'm fine with it. You know, well, I've never felt uncomfortable about giving this much this much airtime to the prequels. Oh, I know. <laughs> I know it's been a struggle with you, but you come to realize there's a lot to talk about. More That's than true. most movies. Yeah. It can't be denied. It's kind of funny because when we did our, when we did our Patreon episode for the month, our Patreon episodes for mm-hmm. the month, I was like, oh God, are we going to just end up talking, no matter what the movie is and how short it is, are we still going to, are we going to, are we so used to talking for hours on end that we're not going to get this in? <laughs> I, I won't tell you what the movie is, but It'll let it be a surprise because yeah. it hasn't been released yet. Um, but we were just like, no, straight back yeah, to just straight, yeah, straight back time. to that sort of one between one <laughs> and two hour mark that we. I was just like, one and I'm a half. Like, it's just Star Wars that does it to us. Yeah, <laughs> we're not the problem. Star Wars is the problem. Star Wars is the problem. All right, ladies and gentlemen, find us on Facebook, Instagram, or shitbag uh send us an email to everything sequel at gmail.com uh we're getting some good feedback on these particular movies and uh we'll shout you out yeah. we're we're loving it so so keep going uh and that's it part one is in the books part two coming at you next week for tom stewart of lonesome whistle productions michael Schantz here of the how dare you awards Say goodbye, Tom. <laughs> Time to abandon ship. <laughs> That's an actual line <laughs> from Granual Grievous in this movie. If you saw that in Thundercats, you'd be like, ooh, too arch. <laughs> Is that what he does his out the window? Yeah, he says, ha ha ha, time to abandon ship. I mean... <laughs> this is who you're replacing Christopher Lee with? Yeah, that's no good. For about an hour? <laughs> Less than an hour? 20 minutes? <laughs> well, thank God he's dead and he's going to be out of our hearts and minds for the rest of the episode. <laughs> Not this I episode, don't want to think about what happened episode. to his heart and mind. Yeah. All right, everyone. Take care. <laughs> we'll, we'll be back next week. And we'll finish up. Thanks for listening. Does the coronavirus have you feeling oogie? Have you been sitting on your couch for weeks? Nay, have you been sitting on there for months? Well, it's time for you to get back in shape. Check out 2 a T Fitness. 
You can find them on Instagram. You can find them on Facebook. To a T Fitness was started by Tina Bernard. She is ready and raring to go to help you get back into the shape you want to get into. They've got all kinds of classes. They've got outdoor in-person classes. They've got online classes if that's what you prefer. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to get back in shape. You're going to find a variety of exercises. You're going to have strength training, cardio, weightlifting, even fun five-minute burnouts that will push you to your limits. So get off the couch, get into shape. Go ahead and check out Tua T Fitness. Tina Bernard has got you for all your needs. I know her personally. She's fantastic. You're not going to meet a better person to help you become the new you. Check it out.